You're listening to the Canes Country Podcast with Brett Finger, Justin Lape, and Kyle Morton. Welcome back to another episode of the Canes Country Podcast. Uh, Canes Country is a little bit on fire right now, but I have two calming voices with me. And no, they're not Kyle Morton or Brett Finger. It's Brian LeBlanc and Andrew Snicker. How are you guys today? Hello, Justin. Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Well, uh, you're familiar with Brian. You've you've had him on the... <laughs> whether you want to be or not. Yeah, whether you want to be or not. Uh, you've heard his voice. You've seen his work. Um, but there's a little bit of a new guy in town, and that's Andrew. Andrew, welcome, first and foremost. And would you explain a little bit about yourself? What made you want to join this prestigious website? Yeah, as uh, Hey, guys. As uh, Justin mentioned, I'm Andrew Schnitker. I have uh, some experience, a lot of experience in sports writing. I'm the sports editor for Technician, which is the student newspaper at NC State. For those who don't know, I'm a senior at NC State, and I've covered football and basketball there. And actually, a few years ago, we started covering the Hurricanes, and I have sat next to Brian on press row for two, two and a half seasons, Brian. I think it's yeah. I think it's been at least two. It might be three. Yeah, and uh, so got to know him pretty well. He's helped helped kind of show me the ropes. And this uh, toward the end of last season, he invited me to join Kane's Country, which is a site I've been familiar with and read for a long time. And I jumped on and am honored with the opportunity. Well, and yes, and Andrew is our one of our new senior writers. You'll see a lot of his work from now on. But and I just um, like to point out for the record that uh, technician does not have a V in front of it. If you put the V there, they will get very upset with you. So <laughs> cons- consider this a little bit of inside that's, that's baseball true. to keep you in the good graces of the NC State Student Media Department. It's <laughs> true. We don't like that. No. No. I'll also. I would also like to point out. I love this, although Andrew hates it. The uh, just you'll appreciate this too. The uh, technician style guide specifically calls for any reference to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to be referred to as that. They're never referred to as North Carolina. They're never referred to as UNC. It is always UNC Chapel Hill or UNC CH, which just makes my little heart happy. And it also gives hope to the to the little measly UNC Charlotte where I'm from. So that's correct. Yes, one fewer letter. So clearly, you're the better school. <laughs> fewer letters and um, fewer wins as well. Um, yeah, but, well. I mean, that's a that's a bunch low bar. Of football clear. players don't. But your football players don't sell their shoes online, so you got that going for you. Yeah. Hey-o. <laughs> but also, well, we have our own skeletons in the closet about that, Andrew, so probably not best that we throw rocks in that glass house. But you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, like, anyway. We're going to get straight into it. Uh, the big news. Let's talk about the other tenant in PNC Arena. Exactly. The, the big news of this week obviously the Jeff Skinner trade it's it was gonna happen we knew it It was we knew it was gonna happen and it finally did and it kind of gave um hockey media in general something to talk about in August which is not something you hear very often um and who knows is there gonna be something else to talk about in August we'll see um but as of right now Jeff Skinner is a Buffalo a member of the Buffalo Sabres which is it's kind of weird to say um and you know a a package going the other way whether underwhelming or not you guys will decide for me 
But uh, Brian, what are some of your initial thoughts on this trade? Well, I think like everybody else, I was kind of surprised at the return. I thought that Skinner would probably fetch more, but then, you know, once you start thinking about it, uh, the market market for pending unrestricted free agents combined with the fact that Skinner uh, had veto power over any trade uh, was going to limit the market. And, you know, when those two things come together, it can really push down, um, it can push down the return. What I was most surprised by uh, and this has been mentioned a few places, uh, including in the comments on, you know, the Canes Country stories that we've written about it, is how uh, how the returns they got for Skinner wouldn't necessarily have been all that bad at the trade deadline. But, you know, there's still a month and a half before training camp starts. And you'd have to think that if somebody really didn't want him, unless somebody really didn't want him to come to camp, they could have started the season with him and not had to replace, you know, 25, 30 goals. Um, I think that's probably a little bit simplistic just because it seems obvious that there were, there was at least one person and more than likely multiple people who were very interested in not seeing Jeff Skinner start next season on the Hurricanes roster. I think his coach was one of those people. Um, You know, we heard at the press conference that, uh, you know, ice time has to be earned. There aren't going to be any shifts taken off. And to me, that was a shot directly at two players. One was Victor Rask, who's still here, and the other's Jeff Skinner. Um, I, I think that Rob Brindamore had, you know, if, if he wasn't pushing for this, he at the very least signed off on it. And, you know, while Don Waddell was taking a lot of the barbs for making this deal, I think that this is, again, another instance of this GM by committee deciding for themselves that, you know, the, the Hurricanes would be a lot better without Jeff Skinner on the roster. Yeah, I'm kind of with Brian on this. I was – my knee-jerk reaction was, I hate this trade. This is a bad trade. This is a low return. <laughs> you, you really should go back and look at some of Schnitger's uh, tweets when this trade was announced. I mean, this was this was like Kansas City, uh, Kansas City Royals losing streak level of angst from Schnitger. Maybe not quite. I don't know about that. That's <laughs> that's a special bar right there. But when, like Brian said, when you start to think about it and you think about the fact that Skinner only has a year left, and really I think the no-move clause played a big role here. The Canes, this is the only deal they took to Skinner, but I think that's because they knew that it sounds like the list of teams he would accept a trade to was fairly limited. I know Buffalo was high on that list. So, and I think the other thing you have to think about is another situation we just saw play out in the Metro. If you ask anyone associated with the New York Islanders right now, if they would like to have anything, including the package that we just got for Jeff Skinner for John Tavares, instead of the whole lot of nothing they did get when he walked in free agency, that answer would be yes. And at my, at this point in the off season, I thought, that it was becoming more and more likely that that was going to be the situation that we would see with Jeff Skinner. So when you have a player like that, that you're probably not going to resign, you have to get some kind of value for him. And I really think that Don Waddell did the best he could with what he had here. And I, I feel like I want to follow up on what, uh, what Schnitzer said. Um, Justin, you and I were both at the draft and, um, there was there were a couple of times when our uh, interest was was peaked over the weekend, and not necessarily just because of the Dougie Hamilton trade. Uh, there was a lot of, of smoke around the uh, 
around the Kings at draft weekend. Uh, there was a lot of noise being made that maybe they were kind of waiting to see what happened with Ilya Kovalchuk, who eventually signed there. So, I mean, obviously they, they were out of it as soon as they, they uh, made that signing. The other one that comes to mind uh, was the Blues. And at one point, this was right as the Hamilton trade was breaking. So we really didn't have any time to follow up on it. Uh, but Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic was sitting next to me on press row. And he noticed that, uh, that Don Meehan, who's the agent for Jeff Skinner, was talking to uh, Doug Armstrong, the Blues GM. And I have nothing to base this on, but I think it's entirely conceivable that Armstrong could have been trying to do it or could have been trying to do a sell job on me and to, to get Skinner to accept a deal there. Obviously they kind of made their move when they got Ryan O'Reilly. And again, that kind of limited the market, you know, two teams that had definite interest in Skinner uh, ended up being out of the running for one reason or another, whether it was Kovalchuk or whether it was Ryan O'Reilly, uh, neither of them had the cap space or the roster space to a uh, trade for Skinner. And uh, so that, you know, kind of led us to where we are right now. But there was definitely interest, without question, in Skinner at the draft. And I don't know if it would have ended up with a higher draft pick, but it's possible. But again, that trade would have had to go down, almost certainly would have had to go down Friday night. And I never really got the sense that they were all that close to making a deal uh, over draft weekend. So the thing for, for me is, yeah, you mentioned St. Louis and LA. Um, it doesn't, for if from a player's standpoint, I understand Skinner in two aspects. For number one, he gets to play with a top-end center. Most likely, he's probably going to be slotted with Jack Eichel or maybe Casey Middlestad. He's going to be probably getting some time this year. Um, but if, yeah, like you said, the sell job, you wouldn't think that there would need to be a sell job for Skinner on St. Louis. Uh, they're a much improved team, and, and, and it's a team that almost – I mean, I think it's fair to say they're going to be a playoff team this year. Or could, you, least... could you imagine Skinner on a line center by Vladimir Tarasenko? I, I mean, mean, seriously. It would, be, it would be insane. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't see what the sell job needed to be there necessarily. I, I think that the options should have been open. Now, I understand from a personal standpoint, maybe it puts him hundreds of miles closer to his family. Um, you, you can't blame the guy for that. But I don't think it puts them any closer to the playoffs. I, I think that it's this Buffalo Sabres team improved. They made a lot of moves. They got, they dumped some, some players like in Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, they got one of probably the best defensive prospects in the past 10 years. Um, but they're still a little bit of ways away and especially in a tough Atlantic division. Um, so from, from a player standpoint, I don't understand the move as much um, from a, but a, from a personal standpoint, I could see where this could be a good selling point for him and it could work into um, maybe what his contract could look like next season, depending on, you know, his production and what he puts up with the Sabres because he'll have plenty of ice time. And, so. and, you know, let's be fair. I agree with you that I don't think the Sabres are particularly close, but the Atlantic is, is, top, is probably the most top-heavy division in hockey. You've got the Leafs and you've got the Lightning who are going to be 1-2 in some order, but then what do you have? You've got a race Boston. for third. Florida, yeah, I guess you've got Boston, but they're – I don't know. They, they – I'm never, I'm never ever sold on Boston for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, could, could, the, could the Sabres with 40 goals from Jeff Skinner, you know, outscore their way into the playoffs? Sure. I mean, so they have Boston, maybe Florida, but, I mean, Detroit, Ottawa, and, and Montreal are varying degrees of dumpster fires. They're not anything to be concerned of. I think the Sabres are certainly 
head and shoulders above those three teams. I think they're right there with Florida. And who knows, if they get to 95, 96 points, that might be all they need. They've got new goaltending. They've got, you know, they've got Darlene now. You know, I'm not. I'm certainly not saying that the Sabres are going to make the playoffs, but they're a heck of a lot closer with Jeff Skinner than they were without it. So by that same token, does that mean that the Hurricanes are a heck of a lot further away from making the playoffs without Jeff Skinner than they were with him? Well, I think that there is something to be said about that, honestly. I don't – see, here's the thing. If they had traded Jeff Skinner off this roster and hadn't added anybody else, they hadn't made the deal for Dougie Hamilton, they hadn't, you know, picked second and grabbed Andre Svechnikov, then, yeah, I think there's, there's no question they would be further away. And the question, and, you know, Luke DeCock of the News and Observer is one of those who's posed this, and I've had the same thought, is can they replace the goals that they've lost this offseason with guys that are coming in? You're basically looking at replacing about 60 goals or so. You have to think that probably 10 to 15 will come from Hamilton. You have to think that, you know, Michael Furland might get 10. Calvin DeHaan, you know, maybe upper single digits. And so you're really looking at, you're looking at whether Martin Nechas, Andrei Svechnikov, and presumably uh, Valentin Zikov, although it's, you know, player number three, whoever makes the, whoever grabs that roster spot can somehow cobble together about 45 to 50 goals that might be pushing it, but it's certainly conceivable. And I don't see any reason why I would write them off right now, but you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to get off to a good start because things could go South really quickly. And if they do look out. Yeah. I, I think it's the thing I, I voiced this on previous podcasts. I think I voiced this to you a few times, Brian, um, that it it's a lot to count on all these young guys. It's exciting. I know, I know you want the, the fresh influx of talent, and there's no doubt there's talent there. But talent also takes time to develop. And, you know, I think it's fair to say Andre Svechnikov and Martin Nietzsche are going to be good players. But can you expect a solid, you know, 40 points to 50 points each from them? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, I, I just don't know how you, you – I think it kind of – almost brings too much youth when you subtract Skinner from that because it opens up another roster spot. And what, what does that look like? Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not sold on the fact that the offensive output is going to be the same without him. Um, I, I think that Dougie Hamilton definitely helps on the back end. Um, I think Falk remains a wild card. So, you know, he, he was kind of relied to be the offensive defenseman um, for the past few years. And, but, you know, last year's production took a bit of a dip. So I, I don't, I'm not completely sold that the young guys can come in immediately and make that impact. Will they down the line? Oh, without a doubt. But if, if you expect 50 points from them, I, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I think penciling in production, especially that level of production from rookies, is risky. And definitely, at least on paper. Now, I think as Brian pointed out, the loss of Skinner is mitigated somewhat by these trades for Dougie Hamilton and Michael Furland and drafting Spechnikov. But there's not a doubt in my mind that the Carolina Hurricanes are worse today than they were before they traded Jeff Skinner. I don't think there's any question about that. And, you know, one of the guys that's been thrown around a lot lately is Evander Kane when he was traded from the Jets, ironically, to Buffalo. Um, You know, things started – clicking for whatever reason. And this is not to suggest that, you know, Skinner is a bad locker room guy 
you know, he, frankly, I mean, and, and Andrew, you know this just from being in the locker room with me, Skinner got wore down by years of losing. I mean, you could see it in his face. He was tired of answering the same questions over and over and over and over again. And at some point that, you know, that attitude, and I, whenever you say attitude, it comes across as a pejorative and I don't mean it that way. Um, but you could just tell that his vibe was just not that great. And, you know, he was missing what made him Jeff Skinner, you know, what made him such a vibrant personality when he first broke on the scene that was long gone and, you know, hadn't come back in many, many years. Um, and there are people that have made the argument that, you know, this could be like a situation where the jets traded away 30 goals and, you know, other guys did step up and did contribute to it and managed to, uh, you know, get to the point where they're, among the league's elite teams now three, four years down the road. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into this and we're really never, <laughs> it's easy for me to say, you know, a week after the trade goes down, we're never really going to know um, what the, what the impact is until years down the line. And I don't even think it necessarily has to deal with what the hurricanes get out of those draft picks or what they get out of Cliff Poo. It's more about what they're going to get from other guys on their roster that are now going to be counted on instead of 10 goals. They might be counted on for 15 instead of 13 goals. They might be counted on for 20. You know, that's the kind of incremental improvement that the hurricanes are going to need. And that's how you grade this trade. If they get that, then it's, then it was a good trade. If they don't, then they shot themselves in the foot. So a year ago, Jeff Skinner hit tied a career high at 63 points. This year, three more games, but ends up with only 49. What do you guys think the Sabres are getting in Skinner? And what do you think his ceiling will be uh, uh, this year, especially against uh, you know tougher opponents in the division and, and, and maybe uh, being complimented by a player like Jack Eichel? Well, I think that that last point that you made there, Justin, is the big one. When you look at who Skinner's line mates have been, for the most part, in Carolina, especially the last few years, I mean, he's Victor Rask had a couple of productive seasons playing with him, but obviously he's not on Jack Eichel's caliber. And you look at how much time he spent on the third line with a guy like Derek Ryan as his center. Now you go to Jack Eichel, who's one of the best centers in the league, and you're playing on his wing, you're playing bigger minutes, you're playing more first power play time probably. And keep in mind, in the Atlantic, you're playing four games each against Montreal, Detroit, and Ottawa. So I think it's not unreasonable to expect Skinner, especially in a contract year as well, to hit a career high and break 40 goals with Buffalo this year. I think that's probably uh, a fair assessment. Um, obviously the, uh, you know, he, he has a defenseman as a head coach now uh, in Phil Housley, and that might play into, you know, some of the big criticisms that Kirk Muller and Bill Peters had with him were, you know, his, uh, his, confusing uh, defensive play. And I'll just leave it at that. You can read into that however you'd like. Um, you know, you wonder how that might, you know, how that might be impacted, but you know, Eichel's not exactly known as a Selkie candidate himself. Not that he should be. I mean, that's not his role. Um, but you know, he Skinner here always seemed to be on a line. He was always on a line with some center who might've been able to score, but you know, the primary 
responsibility was defensively, specifically with, you know, with um, Jordan Stahl, when he was with Victor Rask, you know, they wanted to try to get Rask to be more of a responsible two-way center. Um, you know, Skinner's never really played with a pure playmaker at center. And I have to think that after a little bit of growing pains, he and he and Jack Eichel are probably going to have a pretty good relationship with each other. And, you know, they could, you know, is it, is it possible that Skinner approaches 75 points? Yeah, I think it is. Um, and if they do that, you know, the, the Sabres are certainly going to score enough goals. They've upgraded their goaltending. And like I said, I'm not going to go out so far as to say they're going to be in the playoffs, but they'll at least be in the conversation. I think. I don't think he's going to reach a career high in goals. I think he'll probably finish around where his average is, which is about 29 goals per game or per season um, over an 82 game pace. Um, But I think his assist numbers will definitely go up. So I think it's possible he reaches a career high in points for sure. Um, I think that's, that's safe to say. Uh, Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely did improve. I just don't know if Skinner puts them over the edge into the playoff conversation, um, especially with how stacked the Metro will be, I think you can go ahead and write in that, that they'll get the other two wild card spots. Um, and it's just going to be a fight for, for that third position in, in the Atlantic. So is Buffalo good enough to, to top Boston and Florida with, with Skinner? I think that remains to be seen. I'm, I'm not 100% sold on it. But with that production in mind, you know, Jeff Skinner currently is at about a 5.725 cap hit, or million per year cap hit. Where do you guys think he lands after the season? Well, um, I think the easiest thing uh, to, to think about when you're comparing who Jeff Skinner uh, might look at a contract is Evander Kane. Um, you know, a, a scoring winger uh, that signed, you know, signed a long-term deal was traded in the span of that deal. And eventually, uh, you know, he went at the deadline, obviously to San Jose and then um, moved on beyond or moved on from there to sign an extension with him. He got what about seven, was it 7 million a year? I'm, I'm looking this up as I speak. Seven I by seven. Yeah. Okay. Seven by seven. I think that's probably about where Skinner would fall. I mean, that seem, it certainly seems like a, like a reasonable number for a player like Jeff Skinner. You know, maybe he, maybe he brings a little bit more if he really, if he really sets the world on fire in scoring this year. Maybe that gets him up to the eight million range. But you know, he's never going to be in Patrick Kane territory. He's never going to be in, um, you know, the the real high earners, your your Kucherov or anything like that. He's always going to be the next tier below that. So I think somewhere in the seven to eight ballpark. Um, maybe on not quite as long a term a deal as uh, as Vander Kane got, but I think he'll get at least five years, I think, from someone. I don't know if it's going to be with the Sabres. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if it's not with the Sabres um, because, you know, they've got a, they're going to have a lot of contracts coming up that they're going to have to think about. They might not be able to, to spare $7 million for Jeff Skinner, but I think he probably checks in somewhere in that $7, 8000000 million range. Yeah, I think another comparable you can look at for Jeff Skinner, another – you know, perennial 25, 30 goal get winger who hit the uh, market this past offseason is James Van Riemsdyk, who signed for five years at $7 million a year with Philadelphia. And I think, you know, Skinner's that – I mean, he's a pure goal scorer. He's never going to add, I think, that 
great playmaking element to his game. He is what he is defensively. He's going to get paid like those guys, like a 30-goal scorer. So I think it will be in that five to seven years, seven million range. I don't think it's going to be with Buffalo, especially if they don't make the playoffs. If he, he has not been to the playoffs in his career, he goes to a new team and doesn't get in. I think he hits the he goes to the market and he looks for the place that has the best chance to get him that first taste of playoff hockey in his career. I think that's a fair assessment. I I, I think that if Skinner could actually end up in two destinations in one season too, uh, especially if they are out of that picture, um, and the Sabers maybe don't think they can retain him. Maybe he's flipped. Maybe he's oh, flipped I, for even more than what he was originally received for. So yeah, I I absolutely think that if if the Sabres are any further out than five points out at the deadline, then he's gone. I don't so, think there's any question. I mean, the, the Sabres have no reason to. They, they gave up comparably very little. And I, don't, I certainly don't think that they're going to break the bank for getting a return for Skinner at the deadline. But, you know, it's not going to be that much worse, if at all, than what they gave up to get him in the first place. So you try him out for four months. If it doesn't work, you move him on. You really don't lose anything. But if you thought Kane's Twitter was mad about the initial trade, imagine what we're going to see if the Canes are also out of the playoffs at the trade deadline this year, and then Buffalo ends up getting a bigger return at the deadline than Carolina did moving him in August. Well, it's kind of funny you mentioned that, Andrew, because um, earlier I can't remember what the date was. It was a poster on, um, on HF boards. Um, went back through and looked at all the uh, pending UFAs that were traded at the deadline that were coming off of multi-year deals. And there were almost none of them got a first round pick. In fact, one of the, one of the best returns was what the Hurricanes got for Andre Sequeira, uh, which was the second rounder uh, that uh, the second rounder in Valentin Zikoff, uh, which was a heck of a return, you know, the second rounder by itself. Or, no, I'm sorry, the first rounder and Zekoff, which would have been a heck of a return, uh, even with just the first rounder. And then to get Zekoff on top of that was just kind of the icing on the cake. Um, but I think, um, I think the Kings got a first in McCown for Sakara in 2015. And that the you are correct, line they got Zekoff for, for Versteeg. You're, that's right. That's right. Okay, so I had my I had my Kings prospects mixed up there. So, regardless of Andre Sakara getting a first rounder, which which did happen, um, was one of the best returns of any pending free agent over the past ten years. I would be surprised if Skinner returns a first rounder. A couple of seconds, sure, a B level prospect, sure. But again, that's what the Sabers gave up to get him in the first place. So it's really no harm, no foul they keep them and make the playoffs or they don't and get back what they paid for them. So with that in mind, the roster kind of shapes out a little bit more uh, with, with Skinner out the door. Um, is there any more moves that you guys see possibly happening this off season, whether it's with the Canes or, or in the NHL? Well, I think at some point they have to look at the possibility of moving Justin Falk. I know that um, I, I know that Tom Dundon said that they're, probably done with making moves and Don Waddell has said the same thing, but I will remind you that a day before or two days before the uh, trade was made at the, uh, at the draft Don Waddell told the media that he, his intention was to sign both Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm to long-term extensions that lasted all of two days before they were traded. Um, and then, then, you know, the icing on the cake there was that Waddell 
told us at the draft, yeah, I've been working on this deal for about three weeks. So he's telling us on one end, you know, yeah, I'm trying to sign them. When at the other end, it's, uh, it's kind of like um, behind the scenes, he's working on trying to make this deal in the first place. Um, I have to think that if you're going to move Falk now, it's going to be for a, a scoring center. Uh, that would make a lot of sense given what they what they got or what they didn't get for Jeff Skinner uh, needing to replace those goals. And I mean, obviously you'd have to add Fox, say 15 or so goals to that pile. But if you can get, you know, just to throw a name out there, Brandon Saad that had been mentioned as a possibility, I think at this point you have to look at it as a fairly serious, uh, serious consideration. Um, I don't really have that much of a problem and guys. You can, you can argue with me this if you want. I don't have a problem paying Justin Falk four point something million dollars to pay to play on the third pairing. It doesn't, I mean, the only team that that impacts is the hurricanes. If they're willing to do it, what's the difference? That's where he needs to be anyway, based on where his play is. So if they're going to play him there and they don't mind biting the bullet on that, on that contract, why not? But if you have a deal come up where they can get some scoring, they can get a center, they can fill a need. I still think that there is, I don't want to say it's more likely than not, but I think it's probably about 50-50 that Falk is either here or gone by the time training camp opens. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Falk move to get, you heard what Waddell and Dundon both said, but I also wouldn't have thought at that point in August that Jeff Skinner was going to be traded before the season. So if they have an opportunity to go get a proven top six forward, and I wrote an article actually on Kane's Country a few weeks ago, looking at some trade targets for Falk, guys like Saad, who Brian mentioned, maybe a Ryan Nugent Hopkins or a higher-end target like a Nazem Kadri. And now if you want to go after a player like Kadri, you also potentially can use some of those draft picks that you got from Buffalo to sweeten the deal. And at the same time, I'm with Brian. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with Falk on the third pairing. For one thing, I think that's better matchups for him both defensively He's playing against, you know, third, fourth line forward, so he might not get as as exposed in that regard. And offensively, those guys aren't going to be as good at covering the points, so we might see Falk's goal production tick back up. So if that's if you got Justin Falk in your third pairing, I think you can make the argument that the Hurricanes have the best defensive corps in the NHL. Oh, I I think that's a fair fair statement, or at least they're one A and one B with Nashville. Um, yeah, Brian and I had some discussion the other day regarding Falk's role. Um, but I think that you could be in a, a situation kind of similar to Skinner where he becomes pretty unhappy. Um, if, if he turns his play around and enforces basically, uh, Rod Brindamore to, to slot him up higher, um, then, I mean, that's only good news for the Canes and the team benefits as a whole. Um, but if, if he, you know, Trevor Van Riebsdyk might not be real happy to be dropped down to the third pairing, but you know, that, that being said, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I, I, I just think that you could run into a situation where he becomes happy and, and then you're back to square one with a situation like Skinner, especially if the team struggles as a whole. Um, I, I, I think it would be best to go ahead and move him now before the season starts if you want your full culture change get that young core out of there that you thought was going to work in in elias lindholm noah hannafin jeff skinner and justin falk in in no slight to hannafin because he's kind of on the back end of that but th- those three prime players there um go ahead and move on and 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 get that 
uh, winger in there, especially, yeah. I mean, Saad would be a great addition to the team. Um, and it probably wouldn't, would kind of be almost a one for one swap. So you wouldn't have to give up too many of your assets um, because, you know, Chicago is, is desperate for, for cheap uh, or semi cheap, I guess, defense, especially with that Seabrook and Keith contracts. So, um, yeah, Man, I mean, that Seabrook key anchor or that Seabrook contract is such an anchor. Good. And Lord. just think they had Chalmerson just a, you know, two seasons ago. <laughs> oh, not God. A cheap cap hit either. So uh, you can see what uh, Stanley Cup fronts can do to you. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's safe to say that the team could benefit from a move uh, with Falk out the door, especially. I mean, I don't think that anybody kind of expected that the thing that the Canes were going to address this offseason was actually going to be more defense. <laughs> I, I don't think there was no rumor for Dougie Hamilton, really. I mean, there was, there was, there was words out there that they were struggling with Lynn Holm and struggling with Hannafin's contracts, but I don't think anyone kind of truly expected to get even better on defense. And then, no, you had- I think I'd actually, I think I would go one further and say it wasn't the Hamilton trade that surprised me. It was citing Calvin DeHaan that surprised me more than anything, because at that point you're just adding to what's already considered probably the top blue line core in the Eastern conference. And, you know, now you're splurging four years on probably the best free agent defenseman out there on the market. I mean, <laughs> just go ahead and move all of them up while you're at it. Right. I, yeah, fair enough. But I, I, I think that, yeah, and I think last year was not a good year or not the best year we've seen from Jacob Slavin. He went through some slumps um, and some strengths as well. Um, but I think he's even going to take an even bigger stride this year, which is exciting to see because, I mean, we, we see the footage. I mean, the, the guy is really good and a really underrated defensive in this league. So um, I, I think you have the liberty and the, the – opportunity to move Falk whether they do it we'll have to see well and when you talk about getting even better on defense you look at the areas where the Hurricanes are weak which is down the middle and in goal it's hard to go get players from outside the organization in those spots they tried to get Philip Grubauer they couldn't do it they end up settling for Peter Morozik they haven't gotten a center so if the defensemen are what's there and that's what you can do and that's the upgrade that you can make then if you can't address your weaknesses and doubling down on a, on a strength is not necessarily a bad second option. No, I definitely don't think it's a bad option at all. And in fact, I, I kind of commend them because I think this isn't the type of move that we would have seen the hurricanes make in years past because they would have been, you know, perfectly okay with going into the season with the top four that was to rival anyone and then just throw a couple of defensemen out there on the third pairing to play 10 minutes a night you know, the Phil DiGiuseppe of defensemen, if you will, and call it a day and be done with it. And I think that it really shows that there's a different way of looking at things coming out of the Hurricanes front office now. And they're certainly willing to spend the money if they think they can get a better player. And, you know, one thing that I think is is noteworthy here is that Jim Rutherford used to love to pencil guys into the lineup in their specific places at their introductory press conferences. You know, he would, he would come out and say, yeah, I think that, you know, this guy that we just acquired is going to be a great fit on the first line with Eric Stahl. Well, you know, that lasts all of what, 10 minutes and it doesn't work. And then the coach is changing lines and everything gets blown up. So I think that it's, you know, it's to their credit that they're not boxing themselves in to saying, you know, Hayden Fleury is going to be our fifth defenseman. He's not going to be number four. He's not going to be number six. He's going to be number five. Um, 
and I think too often in the past, the Hurricanes have been hamstrung by those kind of short-sighted things, and it's kind of refreshing to see that they're willing to uh, to be a little bit more open-minded in where their guys play and just commit to playing the best, you know, the best players the most minutes instead of saying, well, we got this guy to play on the first line, so I guess we got to play him there. That's how, you, that's how you wind up with Zach Boychuk playing 18 minutes a game. I think that, that yeah, another reason you could move out Falk is I think Flurry's development is, is on track to be a very good, um, you know, bottom pairing defenseman. Um, and you can have him at cheaper. And I know that's not a concern with how much cap space there is, but I just think there's a liberty now. And I think that if you, if you trap Flurry in this weird, um, you know, mixture between AHL or NHL if someone gets hurt defenseman, because I think that you could say, you know, TVR is, is fair enough ahead of him right now. And, and they, they signed him for that reason. Um, I just think that it, it gives – I think there's real, a real opportunity to, to shop Falk here. Um, yeah, and, and not only that. I mean, not only is it Flurry, but you've got Roland McEwen exactly. knocking on the door. Trevor Carrick is certainly uh, a capable defenseman. I mean, below that, the pickings start to get a little bit slim. But, I mean, all the way down to the eighth or ninth defenseman in the, in the organization right now. Um, and you still have Jay Payne on the way. Yeah, and even without Justin Falk, you've got a, you've got a lot of defensive depth. And, you know, if trading Falk means that you have to call up Trevor Carrick to play 45 games, I don't think that's that big of a deal. You know, he certainly hasn't shown that he's going to set the world on fire, but he's, you know, not a, not a disaster back there. McEwen's ready. I mean, I thought McEwen was ready when he made that couple-of-game cameo in, in January when they were dealing with some injuries last season. Um, McEwen looked great. And I think that, honestly, I think he earned a roster spot over Flory. I mean, we'll see what happens in training camp, uh, I'm not at all convinced that Hayden Flurry's still on this team. If they do make a deal at the end of tra- it, by the end of training camp, I think that Flurry is probably the most likely sweetener that they would have to throw in to get the guy that they want if they're trying to use Falk as that bargaining chip. Yeah, because I I don't think it's fair to say that they're going to go full youth again on on offense. So yeah, whether Flurry is used as that bargaining chip, whether you end up you know, shipping out Bean even because uh, it seems like right now, I mean, he's not even going to really get a chance the next few years at least um, to, to kind of make his mark. I mean, especially with most of that, that core locked up on defense. So um, well, in fairness, we saw with Ryan Murphy, if you're rushing too fast, you know, and to be fair, we saw with Elias Lindholm uh, exactly. now, now traded um, that if you, if you move them up too quickly, you know, things can backfire on you. So I don't think it's the, worst thing in the world for uh for for being to you know marinate a couple more years and you know call him up call him up for a spot start here or there but i think that you know if you start relying on him too early you're really playing with fire so so with those prospects in mind and and you know excluding the big names like zikoff svechnikov nietzsche andrew what are some names that you really want to see take a stride for the canes and and either make an impact at the nhl level or or just solidify themselves at the ahl level well a guy that i've really liked in the limited amount of you know playing time that we've seen from him at the nhl level and really i think especially if you move aho back to the wing or you do something else so you find a taker for victor rask has a chance to come up and play this year is lucas walmark I think he's a really solid two-way centerman. He's got some scoring touch, and that's a way to possibly add some of those goals 
he can roll out four lines and maybe have a little bit more of an offensive-minded fourth-line center in Lucas Walmark. And another guy I think that has a chance to play that we saw last year was Warren Fogle. He's got some speed on the wing. He's a good penalty killer. He really he showed his scoring touch. I mean, hell, he scored a goal in his first game. So I think those two guys are two that I'm definitely going to have my eye on in training camp this year. Yeah, I think that Fogel's a guy that is. Yeah, you know, I might not be quite as bullish on him as Andrew is, but you know, he's he's kind of in, in the same vein as as uh, Carrick. He's kind of proven that he's um, he's certainly competent for a spot start here or there. Um, I mean, I think he'd probably be the second line center in Charlotte uh, next season, assuming that you know most of the uh, most of the guys that are we're thinking are going to come up do. Um, He's obviously a really good penalty killer. That's something that the Hurricanes have plenty of with uh, with Jordan Stahl. Um, although getting rid of Elias Lindholm, I think, is going to have an underrated impact on the penalty kill. Um, I think that that could be the reason that Fogel would, you know, could conceivably make the team over Walmart is because of that. I still think that that fourth line center role is probably Walmart's. I think that Phil DiGiuseppe is going to be the uh, 13th forward, but. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much on the Roland McEwen train. Um, I think that he's, I think he's ready. I think there's not much more that he needs to prove in the American Hockey League, and if the Hurricanes can figure out a way to get him on the roster, um, I think that he would, he would fit in well alongside, uh, you know, a Trevor Van Riemsdyk or a Brett Pesci or one of those types of guys. Um, I think that of all the players on the roster, if if Justin if uh, Justin Falk is traded. I think that McEwen probably is the guy that's in line to benefit most from that trade on the defensive side of the ice. Um, you know, I think it's just a matter of opening a spot up for him right now, but if they can get that spot open, um, I, I think he's absolutely ready and could probably step in this season and give you a 55, 60 games. I think uh, from the AHL standpoint, I think Nicholas Waz is a a player that I think is going to take another full stride this year. He had a pretty – he was a very streaky scorer last year. Uh, He would light up with 10 points in four games or something, and then he'd kind of be, you know, on the back burner a little bit. But I I think he's going to take a lot of big strides this year and and, and really be a solid contributor – contributor for the for the checkers and and maybe make an impact you know in in a year or two at the nhl level like he's got a big body i i think he he's a very good rebound scorer um so i i would definitely keep an eye on him but i think another uh prospect you should pump the brakes a little bit on and i i've been saying this over and over again but i keep seeing his name mentioned is alexi sorella he's not as good as people think he is, I think. I think he's also very streaky, and I just think he's not talented enough to beat uh, some of the young talent up there. I mean, with with Zikoff probably taking a spot, and then you got Vech- Svechnikov and Nietzsche's up there, it's going to be tough for him to beat. And he's got tough competition between Warren Fogle and Lucas Walmark to fill some of those other positions. So I would just pump the brakes a little bit on him. I, I'm not as high on him, and, and maybe he could be included in, in a package that – you know, uh, uh, is shipped out. We'll, we'll see. But I, yeah, I, I think I, it's a little bit, a little bit, let's just pump the brakes a little bit on him. I tend to agree with you. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of what Zach Dalpy was years ago. He was, you know, an AHL, a proven AHL scorer that, you know, his skill set was really well suited to the American League, not so much to the NHL. 
And that's not necessarily a knock on him. I mean, I think he could end up being, you know, a Chris Bork or a Chris Terry or a guy like that that, you know, carves out a pretty good uh, Tom Kasopoulos comes to mind. You know, guys that carve out a pretty good living in the AHL. You know, six-figure earners are pretty rare in the AHL. I think that Sorella could be that guy. Uh, but I'm with you. I don't think that long-term he's really going to be the answer to any pressing questions that the Hurricanes have or will have in uh, in their forward lines, at least for the next four or five years, I would say. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You saw him come over for a kind of a short stint at the end of the year with Charlotte at the end of last season, score a bunch of goals. And then now he, so he's the, your stereotypical guy all off season that everybody's talking about is going to be penciled into the lineup and come in and set the world on fire and be the next Ajo. And then, you know, he has that injury, and we really never hear anything more from him. And I think it's probably worth mentioning, too, that I think a lot of what um, what fans' expectations of Sorella are are the same things that we're going to see with Cliff Pooh in the next couple of years. Um, because he was part of the return for Eric Stahl, um, there's, you know, there's something more to that. You know, nobody really you – know, I say this, he was, he was a good defenseman while he was here, but nobody really cared that much about Andre Sakara. You know, he was the kind of guy that once he's gone, he's, you know, he's gone and he's an entry in the press, in the press guide and that's about it. Um, but Sorella was part of the Eric Stahl deal. He was the only named part of the Eric Stahl deal. And I think that that probably weighs a little heavier on him than is fair, uh, just because people have that emotional connection to what they got back for a guy who was as much a part of the identity of the Hurricanes as anyone. Um, so I think there's probably a little bit of that at play as well, uh, just you know, keeping in mind who he is and who he was traded for um, probably doesn't, doesn't serve to help him all that much, to be honest. Well, and the thing to keep in mind with that too, I think, with Eric Stahl, Jeff Skinner, Alexei Sorella, Cliff Pooh is – one of the second rounders that was obtained in that trade for Eric Stahl turned into, ended up turning into Tavo Teravine. And so it's entirely possible you could rejudge the Skinner trade by that too if that second rounder from Buffalo, which ended up being almost a late first, is used to acquire an NHL player. I think that's a fair assessment. I, th- I think that uh, – I, I don't think they should be sold on maybe their first-round pick this year or, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I didn't think – before they hit the lottery, they would should have been sold on their their pick this year before they hit number two. But um, I, there's definitely a lot of storylines to continue to watch for the Canes. But uh, that will be it for the Canes Country podcast today. Um, I will. I just want to give a quick shout out to Brett Finger. He may end up listening to this or not. The man has had some bad luck with technology lately. Um, he absolutely just destroyed his computer. And he got kicked off Twitter because the tw- Twitter thought he was 13 years old. So uh, he, got his, there. he got his account suspended and he was been trying to get it back, sent them a copy of his driver's license and just he still couldn't get it back. So, um, yeah, a big shout out to Brett because he's, he's really been struggling with, with anything electronic lately. So and I supposedly he's going to have a, a $500 repair on his computer. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're we're hoping for the best for Brett. I'm sorry, but so what? So what you're what you're basically saying is, if you have a computer or any sort of techno- technological device, keep it as far away from Brett as you possibly can. <laughs> if you, yep. even if you have a BlackBerry that you don't even use anymore, keep it away <laughs> from Brett, please. 
please. Yeah, throw one out for Brett tonight, folks. <laughs> exactly. But uh, follow us at Kane's Country on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook at Kane's Country. You can follow Brian at at BD LeBlanc, L E B L A N C. And you can follow Andrew at Ashnit53. That's A S C H N I T T 53. Yes, when I made the account, that 53 was based on Jeff Skinner. So might have to think about switching that up. I also have. So, while you're pour- so what you're saying is while you're pouring one out for Brett, pour one out for you as well. <laughs> and pour one no. out for me as well because I have an email that's JustinLape53. So. <laughs> yeah. It's- well, I feel, I feel like the black sheep of the family here all of a sudden. <laughs> I think you are, Brian. With that, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>